How's everybody doing? It's about the 2020 response right there. That's, that's how it's been at all four services. So, hey, usually by the time uh, we get to the 11, uh, I've already filtered out jokes because they're usually pretty inappropriate. Um, but I haven't told... Um, I haven't told this joke, and it made me think of it because a young couple was at the nine o'clock, and, and uh, so we have um, we have a thing once a month called Next Class, where people come in and we you know we show them the place, and I get to tell them my personal testimony and, and tell them about how we started the church and all that stuff, and uh, people ask questions at the end. <laughs> and this young couple came up at the end, and they're just like uh, they're like, hey, she goes, we always sit near the front, and I see you put something in your mouth right before you speak every single time. What is that? And I just went. I'm addicted to pills. And, uh, <laughs> and she was just kind of like this. And I was like, no, no, it's an Altoid. It's, it's cool. I, it's, I, I beat the whole drug thing a long time ago. So uh, uh, we're good. Um, but um, see, I probably shouldn't have told that joke. But, but it's the 11. Uh, I get to go home after this. So who cares, right? Yeah, all right, cool. So we... <laughs> We have been working through the book of Matthew for quite some time, and um, it's funny, uh, the whole COVID thing. Usually we'll do a chapter a week. We've been cutting up chapters in half, and I'm like, well, we don't have anything else to do, so I might as well just take my time and uh, just spend a lot of time going through the gospel. I love the book of Matthew. I think it's very, very important, maybe one of the most important books of the Bible. If you haven't been here with us, it's the first book of the New Testament, it's uh, basically Jesus traveling around. He's got a group of guys with him called the 12 Disciples. He's got other people around him. We'll find out later there's a lot of ladies there. There's a lot of younger people there, older people, a lot of different kinds of people follow Jesus. But he's focusing on these 12 individuals, these guys, and he is training them to go out and to share this message, right, to the entire world. Now, in chapter 15, in the second half of it that we did last week, Jesus's mission was to come to Israel. That doesn't mean he didn't love everyone else, but he came to Israel. He got some Jewish guys, like I just said. He trained them, and then they were gonna go out to the entire planet, right? All kinds of people, nationalities, colors, everything, right? They were gonna go out, okay? But he specifically came for the Jewish people, right? To kind of plant that seed. In chapter 15, in the second half, there's a couple of really, really neat stories in there, but the one that really stands out is there is a non-Jewish woman, right? This non-Jewish woman finds Jesus because he's in an area that's mostly non-Jewish, Gentile, if you've ever heard that term before. He's walking around. This woman is desperate. She's following along Jesus. She's screaming out, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, son of David, help me, help me, help me. And she finally gets in front of Jesus, gets on her knees like in desperation. She's there, arms outstretched, and she says, Lord, help me. And Jesus stops and he says, wow, this woman's faith is huge, right? And the reason she was so desperate is she had a daughter that was being demonically oppressed. And so Jesus looks at her and he says, right now, because your faith is so good, um, she's healed. When you go home, she's going to be okay. And he did this work for this woman. But what we talked about is this. All of us, all of us have to reach a similar point of desperation. We have to reach a place to where we say, Jesus, you're all I have. You're my only hope. You're the only thing that's going to help me. You're the only thing that's going to save me and, and help my family and help my marriage and help my community. You're it. We have to reach that point of desperation. Okay? This week, um, it's not a, a highly emotional lesson, which is kind of good. I, my emotions are about, about spent. Um, but it's not a highly emotional uh, lesson. It's very, very practical, very straightforward. And here's what we're going to talk about. 
Because there's a major turning point in chapter 16, mostly in the second half, which we'll get to next week, but there's, it starts in the first half of chapter 16. What we're gonna see is we're gonna see the evolution of the disciples. They're gonna, they're gonna make a huge leap in their faith and their relationship with Jesus. And what we're gonna talk about today, hopefully we can be honest with ourselves today, and at the end of the lesson, I'm gonna kind of show you some stages of evolution within a Christian, right? And how we are continually morphing and adapting and changing to be more like Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do, right? To be more and more like him. The Bible says, be holy like I'm holy, right? So to continually change to be more like him. And hopefully we can be honest today and we can look at that list and say, okay, I think I'm about right here. Now, wherever you are on that list, that's, that's great. I'm glad you're on that list. The question is, are you moving deeper and deeper into your relationship with Jesus? Are we still evolving? Whether you're in this room going, I don't even know what God is, but I'm here to find out. Or if you've been a Christian for 60 years in this room, right? We're always constantly evolving, hopefully, to look more and more like our creator. We'll talk about that a little bit today, okay? So I think there's notes, handouts at the door. I don't know anymore. I mean, the, the longer this church goes, the, the less I know about the church I started. But I think they still give out notes, handouts at those doors over there and in back there, so I'm not sure. If you didn't get one of those, everything should be on the screen. I do know that we have an app, the Experience Community app. If you download that, click on service time, sermon notes, that's the best way uh, to kind of follow along. Got all the scripture, got all the notes, very, very handy, okay? So we should be in good shape. So I'm gonna pray. Uh, we'll get through half of chapter 16. We'll go through it relatively quick, and we'll just kind of take an assessment of where we're at today, right, as individuals, okay? Father, Lord, we love you. God, I just want to tell you, thank you for everyone in this room right now, Lord. Thank you for everyone who's watching right now who can't make it in person, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you keep your hand on us, Lord, the Experience Community Church, God. Lord, we need you. We need your guidance, Lord. It's crazy. It's chaotic. It's confusing. And um, we just need guidance, Lord. We pray not only for our church. Father, we pray for every church in our city. Lord, we pray for the non-believers in our city, that we can be the light to them. We pray for our government, local, state, federal, Pray for all those individuals, God, men and women, Lord, that, that lead our nation. We pray, God, that your wisdom falls on them, Lord, and that you guide them, Lord. Father, uh, we pray that everything we talk about today, that it honors you. We pray that everything we talk about today, God, that it encourages us and lifts us up and brings us closer to you, Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Keep your hand on me as I teach. I pray all these things in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. All right, guys, let me read a little bit. I'll go back and I'll do my best to, to break it down, okay? The Pharisees and Sadducees approached and tested him, asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say it will be good weather because the sky is red. And in the morning, today will be stormy because the sky is red and threatening. You know how to read the appearance of the sky, but you can't read the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Then he left them and he went away. So like I said earlier, chapter 16 is, is maybe not only the biggest turning point of the book of Matthew, maybe one of the biggest turning points of the entire Bible, because what is going to happen is Jesus has been walking with his disciples for a couple of years now, and now he is going to blatantly tell his followers, I mean, like, there's no ambiguity here. He goes, they're going to arrest me, they're going to beat me, they're going to kill me, I'm going to be in the ground for three days, and I'm going to resurrect, 
right? He tells them straight up what's going to happen with the crucifixion. So starting in chapter 16, Jesus is turning to the cross and he is preparing his disciples, right, to be the leaders. So because Jesus had a limited amount of time, he's like, okay, we gotta get really, really serious. I'm gonna teach you, I'm gonna train you, I'm gonna spend more alone time with them. He's gonna show them the deep spiritual things of the gospel, and he's also gonna teach them very practical ways to lead. And that's pretty interesting because we see with the teachings, not only of Jesus, but of the entire word of God, they are overtly spiritual, right? Things that are salvation things. This is how we get to heaven. And then there are things in the Bible that aren't heaven or hell, but just really, really practical ways to live better lives. Even simple things like treat other people the way you want to be treated. Respect your husbands. Love your wives. Don't get into a bunch of debt. There's all kinds of great practical advice in the Bible. So we're to take those things, apply those things to our daily lives, not just for our eternity, but so we have better lives now at work, at school, at home, in our relationships, whatever the case may be, practical and spiritual. So now we see there are two bad guys now, right? There are the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they are teaming up. Now, these two, these two groups would have been mortal enemies. The Pharisees were kind of the, the hardcore right-wingers, right? These were the ones way on the conservative side, way out there in right field. Then you would have had the Sadducees that were way out there in the liberal left field. I mean, way out there. And these two got together because they equally hated Jesus. So you can imagine the United States, if the Democrats and Republicans got together, you know, something is up, right? That's what was happening in Jesus's time. They mutually hated Jesus. And they approach Jesus and they say, hey, give us some proof that you're the Savior. Give us some proof which is a very ironic thing to say because Jesus just miraculously fed 12,000 people. Before that, he miraculously fed 15,000 people. He has raised the dead. He has healed the sick. He has caused the blind to see. He has cast demons out of people. He has given all kinds of evidence that he's the son of God. The problem wasn't the lack of evidence. The problem was is they, did, they didn't want to see the evidence. They were so arrogant that they didn't want to see anything bigger than themselves. You guys ever meet people? I have friends that say this. Well, if I could just see Jesus, I'd believe in him. Nope. A lot of people saw him, didn't believe in him. They actually saw him do a lot of miraculous things, didn't believe in him. Well, if I could just see God, I would believe. Nope. If you read the Old Testament, there was millions and millions of Jewish people going through the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt on their way to the Promised Land. Food drops from heaven. Water comes out of a rock. God splits the Red Sea and they cross it. And none of those people made it to the promised land because their faith was so bad, right? That whole first generation didn't make it. They saw the things of God, still didn't believe in God. You only see God if you want to see God. The evidence is there, but you have to want to see it. So Jesus looks at the religious leaders and he goes, so you guys are pretty good meteorologists. You can look up at the sky and tell if it's going to be a good day or not. But even though you're the religious leaders, you can't even see God right in front of your face. You can't see the signs of the times right in front of you. And so he calls them evil, the religious people. He says, you're an evil generation because you want a sign. So Jesus is referring to the people that should have known better. Listen, if you grew up hearing the truth, you shouldn't have to have God come down and be like, hey, just want you to know I'm real. Here I am. Hi. So just 
Just saying hello, right? That you, 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 you shouldn't have to need that. If you've been raised around it, you should be privy to the truth. It should be real in your life. But God does show us signs. So if you're in here today and you genuinely want to know what's up there, right? What's beyond this life and beyond humanity. God gives us signs. Look at the order of the universe. Look at the order of biology and chemistry. Look at how magnificent creation is. Romans 1.20. That should be enough for anyone to say, there's gotta be something bigger than me, right? There's gotta be something beyond me. The problem is, is because we are so individualistic, I said this last week, and because we are self-centered, we think humanity is the pinnacle of all things, right? And we don't think there's anything beyond us. And that keeps us from recognizing the signs of God. So Jesus says, I'm going to do one more big miracle for you, right? You skeptics, that's what he's saying. He says, I'm going to get crucified and it's going to be just like Jonah. I'm going to be in the ground just like Jonah was in a belly of a fish for three days. And I'm going to come out alive, right? That's going to be the last sign you're going to get. You know, what's crazy is even after that, the majority of the people did not turn. Fascinating. So this is an important lesson for everyone in this room, especially any of you who have social media, which is probably all of you. Jesus was in this conversation and he saw that the conversation wasn't going anywhere. They had no desire to learn anything. They just wanted to argue. And do you know what Jesus does in situations like that? He walks away. Because having a conversation with someone who only wants to debate and not learn is an absolute waste of your time. I hope you guys know that, right? You know, every time you guys post that political statement, there's not a bunch of Democrats on the other side of the world going, man, he's right. Trump is amazing. I'm gonna go get a tattoo of that or something. You know, like no one says that. No one gets on there and they're just like, man, those people are really, really passionate about socialism. I'm gonna go ahead and give everything away right now. No one does that. And so when we get on Facebook and we're just arguing and debating and when we get into fistfights and arguments with people over things, when people don't want to be empathetic and hear the other side, Jesus says it's like throwing pearls to pigs. It is a complete waste of your time. So what do we do? We pray for people that don't want to learn and don't want to listen. We pray that God softens their hearts and opens their minds, but we are to move on to people who genuinely want to know the truth and what is right and wrong. And if we don't, just wasting a lot of time, okay? All right, next part. You guys hear that, and right after you leave service, you're gonna get in a, a, a political fight with someone on Facebook, right? That's how you guys look when you're typing. <laughs> the disciples reached the other shore, and they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus told them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were discussing among themselves, we didn't bring any bread. And aware of this, Jesus said, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves that you don't have bread? Don't you understand yet? Don't you remember the five loaves and the 5,000 and how many baskets you collected or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many large baskets you collected? Why is it you don't understand that when I told you Beware of the leaven and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I wasn't talking about bread. Then they understood that he had not told them to beware of leaven and bread, but of the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So here's, it's kind of funny, probably not if you were in the moment. 
But the disciples just saw Jesus. It says he fed 4,000 non-Jews, but they didn't include women and children. So it would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of about 12,000 people, right? The disciples saw Jesus miraculously feed 12,000 people recently. There were seven big baskets of food left over, right? All these baskets left over. And they should have grabbed some of that miraculous bread, stuck it in their backpacks or carried it however they carried along. So they would have had food to eat later as they were traveling, but they didn't. So they get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and they're like, man, we should have grabbed some of that bread. We're getting hungry. And what was going on right now is Jesus was trying to get the disciples alone with him so he could further teach them, right? And train them and get them ready to lead as he leaves. So when he says, he knew they were hungry, right? Because Jesus knows all things. He, he knew they were hungry. And he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Leaven is something you put in bread that changes the chemical makeup of the bread, makes it expand, okay? And so they're, they're thinking in their head that he means literally, right? Beware of certain kinds of bread. And Jesus wasn't talking about bread. Jesus was talking about false teaching. Guys, this is so important. Jesus knew that if his disciples were not listening to him all the time, closely, right, that when hard times came, that when hard times came, false teachings and lies and deception creeps in very, very easily. So Jesus wanted his followers to be alert. Look at what is happening in the, in the North American church right now. We have done a good job of building big churches. We've made rock star pastors. We've sold books. We've done all kinds of stuff, but we haven't made disciples. And the problem with that is, is when hard times come, a bunch of false teaching creeps in, a bunch of doubt creeps in, a bunch of lies creep in, and a bunch of people drop their faith and they act the fool out in the world. Jesus knows that if we're not close to him before the hard times happen, that when they happen, we're going to run, right? So he said, beware, be alert, be cautious, look around. And they still weren't catching on though. So the 12 thought, this is kind of humorous too. So the 12 are literally thinking, they're like, okay, we're going to go into the market and there's going to be different vendors, right? Different restaurants. And Jesus is telling us to stay away from the restaurants that get their bread from the religious people. That's what he's telling us. And it didn't make much sense, right? And it sounds ridiculous. But here's the thing. This is so good. The disciples' present hunger, their present hunger and their constant worry about what they're going to eat tomorrow, their constant fear of the future, prohibited them from growing spiritually. When we're constantly worried about today, when we're constantly worried about tomorrow, because that fear has taken up so much real estate in our souls, we don't have any room for Jesus to work in there. That's why the Bible says that perfect love casts that fear out. It casts that constant worry out. That's why when Jesus prayed the, the, the Lord's Prayer, he said, give us today our daily bread, which means this. Every single day, we need to wake up and say, God, give me what I need today. That means we have to have a daily relationship with Christ. And when we have that daily relationship with Christ, we're not enamored with fear for today. We're not enamored with fear for tomorrow. If we seek God first, everything else is taken care of. Jesus taught his disciples this principle. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. But they had forgotten this. So because the disciples forgot God's provision in the past, they were worried in the present. 
They had just seen him feed miraculously somewhere in the ballpark of 27 to 30,000 people miraculously. And all of us Christians, right, if you call yourself a Christian, we have a tendency to have very bad memory when it comes to God's provision, right? We're in the middle of a a pandemic and we're in the middle of all this political chaos and we're in the middle of all this and we're like, how are we going to make it through like it's the first time anything bad has ever happened to humanity? And we all go, we don't know. We don't know how it's going to happen, right? I believe Christ is in control, but I'm terrified right now. We have to learn to trust God. Do you know how you learn to trust God? You have to know that God is the perfect father. He's not like your dad that lets you down. He's not like your mom that lets you down. He's not like that person that hurt your feelings a long time ago. He is a perfect heavenly father. And any of you parents in this room are not going to let your children starve to death. So God is going to give people what they need when they need it. He greatly loves us. And however it shakes down, it is for our good because God wants good things for us. And we need to get that deep into our hearts. So Jesus actually got a little frustrated with his followers. Jesus gets mad? Yeah, heck yeah, Jesus gets mad, right? There are so many times that God gets mad. And we don't like that because we've kind of concocted this like hippie wuss Jesus in the United States. It's like, love is love, right? Everything's love. There's no boundaries to love. Jesus loves you. Love, 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 right? And where you don't understand that with love, sometimes comes tough love. Do you know, okay, so you younger people in the room, right? I'm reading a book right now called Faith for Exiles. In fact, I'm making my entire team read it right now. Fantastic book. I recommend you pick it up. And they do a study of the generation that is age 18 to 29, right? Everyone has dubbed you like the worst group of people that have ever lived on planet Earth, right? Everyone says awful things about you 18 to 29-year-olds. You're just the worst. I don't. That's everyone else. But they all say these terrible things. Do you know what this book actually says? They did a study on 18 to 29-year-olds. And they say 18 to 29-year-olds are actually hungry for a church that tells them when they're wrong. They said the majority of them want to go to a church that says that having sex before marriage is wrong and doing these things are wrong and getting drunk and high is wrong. They want to hear it. They want to be corrected. And one of the main reasons why is their parents never did it. So they come to church looking for someone to tell them what is right and what is wrong. They're hungry for it. They're hungry for discipline. They're hungry. And the Bible says that this book is written to rebuke and correct and encourage and educate, right? That's why we have this book, to set us right. Not because God doesn't love us, but because God loves us very much and he wants us to go in a good direction. So when Peter, I'm sorry, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. But you, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So what you're seeing right there in that part that I just read is you are seeing the bedrock of the church being built. Okay, not to be a spoiler alert, one of the 12, right, is going to give up on his faith. But the other 11 that are there, literally in the book of Revelation, it says the foundations of heaven have the names of the disciples on it. They are the bedrock. So these guys that Jesus is talking to right here, he is setting up the church on these men. Okay, so he takes them away and he is further explaining to them 
who he is and what they're supposed to do. So we are seeing the birth, kind of, or at least the foundation of the church right here in chapter 16, okay? Very, very important. So Jesus looks at these guys individually and he says, who do people say that I am? Now we hear all the positive ones. Well, some people think you're John. Some people think you're Elijah. Some people think you're Jeremiah. Some people think you're some other prophet raised from the dead. Those are the positive answers. I bet these guys heard Jesus be called every name in the book. Even if you go backwards in Matthew a little bit, there are some people that saw him doing miracles going, well, he's just, a, he's just someone possessed by demons, casting out demons. People thought he was a false prophet. People thought he was a liar. People thought he was a cult leader. People thought all kinds of things about him. But don't, we only hear the positive ones here. And so he asks the group, what does everyone say about me? Well, this is what they say about you, Jesus. And then it gets real. And Jesus looks them in the eye, every single one of them. He says, who do you think I am? Who do you say that I am? Let me tell you something. Every single one of us in this room, everyone watching right now, everyone who watches it later this week, every single one of us, whether you believe in Jesus Christ or not, every single one of us will one day stand in front of him. And we will have to give an account for our life, what we have done. We will not be able to blame our pastor we will not be able to blame our parents. We will not be able to blame that person that hurt our feelings 20 years ago and we somehow haven't got over it. We won't be able to blame anyone else. We're gonna to have to stand in front of Christ and Christ is gonna say, what do you think about me? And we're gonna go, but my neighbor said this, my pastor did this, my parents did this. And Jesus is gonna say, we're not talking about them. What do you say? What do you say? We're talking about me and you. Let me tell you about this book. The point of this book is not to expose the evil in the world. It's not to expose the evil in, your, evil in your neighbor. It's not to expose the evil in government or society. The point of this book is to reveal the evil that is inside of you. What is in you? What needs to be dealt with in you? Well, but what about this person? I'm not that bad. That's called self-righteousness. Now listen, I can compare myself to some of you in this room, and I look pretty good, right? Done a couple of things in my life. If I compare myself to some of you, I might look pretty good. But when I start comparing myself to what the actual standard of righteousness is, God, I don't look so hot. You know who I'm gonna be accountable for? Me. And I'm not gonna be able to blame any of you for my lack of relationship with Jesus Christ. I am going to have to give an account for what I say about Jesus. Why? Because it's a personal thing. It's a one-on-one -on -one relationship. Despite what everyone else says, what do you say? What do you say? So the question is this, do you have a desire to learn the real Jesus or will we be so arrogant to manufacture a Jesus of our own liking? Well, I don't think it's wrong to do this or that. Where do you get that from? It's just what I believe. How arrogant are you? You've written your own theology. Wow, that is exceptionally arrogant. But that's what we're constantly pummeled with, this individuality, right? This kind of relative truth. Well, it's truth to me. You can say all day long that that is up and this is down. That doesn't change the truth. The truth does not move for any one of us, right? Who do you say that he is? One day you're going to have to look the creator in the eyes and you're going to be held accountable. So even though all the guys were asked, Peter was kind of the spokesman. He was probably the oldest of the disciples, right? And he was most definitely the outspoken, right? Had, had a lot of guts, did some dumb things, did some really brave things too. And so Peter looks at Jesus and he says, you're the Messiah, you're the one, right? You're the one that we've been waiting for. 
Now, I'm not trying to sound dramatic. I don't know if you guys ever read, like when we're going through Matthew and you think about this, these guys were standing there with God in the flesh. God in the flesh. They were sitting there looking in the eyes of the one that spoke the entire universe into existence. Imagine sitting there with Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, hey, Corey, what do you think about me? And imagine, they've been traveling with Jesus for a couple of years. They might have taken their relationship with him for granted. Maybe sometimes when they're out sleeping in the middle of the wilderness, they're probably not just like, man, God's like right over there. But in this moment, when Jesus looked at them, can you imagine Peter looking in the eyes of his creator God and saying, you're the one, you're the one. Isn't that amazing? Something to think about, isn't it? So Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave his disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. That's interesting. So you know why Peter was blessed? Because he wanted to be blessed. Peter was blessed by Jesus because he wanted to know the truth. If you go back and read about the calling of Peter, Peter hadn't seen any miracles. He didn't see the raising of the dead or the feeding of the 5,000. He didn't see uh, demons being cast out of people on the shores of of the Sea of Galilee. He didn't see any of that. Jesus was looking for the truth, or I'm sorry, Peter was looking for the truth. And when Jesus walked by, Peter knew that was the truth. He was looking, he had his eyes open. So he followed Jesus long before he saw any kind of miracles or signs. And so Jesus says, you're blessed. You didn't have to see a miracle to follow me. You were looking for the truth and you followed the truth. What that teaches us is we have to have a willing heart. And if we are looking for the truth, I'm very secure that you will find the truth. If you have a willing heart, God will reveal himself to us and he will continue to show us more and more truth as time goes on. Even imperfect people like Peter. Man, we haven't even seen Peter's greatest mistakes yet. You're gonna see some really terrible mistakes in the next couple of chapters from Peter. Peter made a ton of mistakes. He's gonna make a lot more. But because he had allegiance to Jesus, because he loved Jesus, Jesus appoints him as the leader of the church. He was the first leader of the church. In fact, in the book of Acts, in chapter two, he kind of teaches the first sermon, right? ever from the church. He is at the bedrock of the faith. So what we learn from Peter, we learn a lot from Peter, but what we learn from Peter is God is not looking for perfect people. He's looking for hungry people. He's looking for people who are going to make mistakes, but they're going to come back to Jesus, repent for those mistakes, receive grace upon grace, as Paul writes, and God will use imperfect people to do amazing things. Not perfect, hungry. That's what we need to be, hungry for him. And Jesus says, on you, I'm going to build the church. Guys, that's you. That's me. The institution of the church. We are the people that represent Christ on earth. Christ is here in spirit, but he's not here in body. We are his body. We are the ones that the world sees. We are the ones that hold up the character of Christ, the name of Christ, the principles of Christ. And Jesus says, if we just have allegiance to his word, 
allegiance to him, if we will be full of his spirit, the gates of hell will not overcome the individual Christian and it will not overcome the church as a whole. But we have to stand by him. We have to stand by the word. We have to stand by the principles of this word. And if we do, there's nothing that can knock us down, right? It's not talking about churches. It's not talking about weekly gatherings. It's talking about us as the people of God. Nothing can stop that. And Jesus gives the keys of the kingdom to Peter. Now, there's a lot of bad theology about this phrase. There's a lot of people, because they saw too many like far side comics or something like that, that they think Peter's actually the one checking everyone's ID to get into heaven, right? We all go through Peter. Peter's like, can I see your ID? Right, and he's got the keys, opens up the gate. Actually, the book of Revelation says the gates of heaven are always open, so that kind of kills that. The other thing is, is the keys to the kingdom were not literal keys. This doesn't mean that Peter is the one protecting some kind of gate that we all have to go through to get in to eternity. That's not what that means. The keys of the kingdom are right here. You might actually be holding them in your hand. That's it. The keys of the kingdom are the scripture. Jesus was telling Peter, I am going to give you, this is so important, I am going to give you the information that Peter, you and some other guys like James and Paul and Matthew and Luke and some other people, you're going to write these things down. And if people will read these words and live these words, it will open up the door to salvation. It will open up the door to freedom. It will open up the door to have a relationship with God. Peter, you have the keys. This is the key. You have these keys. It's, it's the most readily available book in America, we have the keys of the kingdom right here. And anyone that holds that book and holds those keys and anyone who communicates that book, we are the gatekeepers of eternity. That's not just pastors. Well, that's your job, pastor. No, no, no. It's all of us. All of us were called to make disciples. All of us were called to be fishers of men and women. All of us were called to do that, not just leaders of the church. Anyone who has access to this book and believes in Christ, we hold the keys to the kingdom. So this is all of us. We have access to the scripture and it is just absolutely mind-boggling that more Christians don't read that scripture. It will absolutely change your life. There's some more bad theology, especially if you come from a more Pentecostal or charismatic background like what I did, got saved in a very Pentecostal church. You often hear a lot of pa pastors say, well, I bind this, I loose that. And it's usually talking about finances or some kind of miracle thing or you know, gold dust floating around or something stupid like that, right? So they usually say something about binding and loosing these things. That's not what that means either. When Jesus said, what you bind in heaven will be bound on earth and what you loose will be loosed, right, on earth. What he's saying is this, is when we have the keys of the kingdom, right here, right, the word, when we read this, and when we start to do the things in this book, the principles of this book, it starts to loose heaven in our life. When we live by heavenly principles, heavenly things start to happen in the life of a Christian. In a very practical level, if you follow the Bible's teachings on how to be a good husband, you're going to have a good marriage. If you follow the Bible's teachings on how to be a good parent, you're going to have children that are raised up to fear the Lord and live an honorable life. If we follow the Bible's teachings where it says, love your neighbor as you love yourself, you're going to have better communities. So we see families, good families being loosed, healthy marriages being loosed, good communities being loosed. When we read this book and we understand that we have the power of God in us, when evil comes, we can say, Jesus, protect my home. I put a hedge of protection in your name around my home, that it binds the devil from infiltrating your home, that evil has to flee when the Holy Spirit is with us. So when we read the keys of the kingdom, we apply the principles of the, king to the, king, uh, the keys of the kingdom, things are bound and loosed here like they are in heaven. 
We're living heavenly principles. Therefore, heavenly things happen. This isn't about you speaking a new Ferrari in your driveway. That is dumb, right? This is about marriages, relationships, societies, cultures, schools, workplaces being better places because we're living by those principles. You know what that means? Good theology is important. Good theology is important. It is important to have good theology. That's why some of these clowns that you read, right? Too many Christians read a lot of supplemental books and they don't read the book, so they don't know how to distinguish what is good theology and what is bad theology. Well, Rob Bell said it one time on Oprah, I don't care, he's a heretic, right? So how dare you, Corey? I dare because Paul would have done the same thing, right? So we need to know what is good theology and what is bad theology, and the only way to know what is good theology is go to the source of theology, which is the Holy Bible. You guys read that, right? I mean, you guys still own a Bible? Anyone own one of these things? No? All right. So the last thing Jesus says is he says, don't tell anyone that I'm the Savior. Now, that's a weird thing because I thought we were supposed to do that, right? Well, we are. What Jesus actually meant by don't just go out and tell everyone about me is he meant I want people to come to me for the right motives. There's a lot of people who go to church because they're broke, and they think God's just going to give them money. There's a lot of people who come to church because they're having a fight with their husband and they just want to win their husband back. They don't really care about getting to know Jesus. They just want to have that guy back. There's a lot of people that come to church because, I don't know, they lost a job. And Now listen, I believe in the blessings of God. I believe if we seek God first, that I believe marriages can be fixed, jobs can be given, finances can be taken care of. I believe in all those things. But listen, if you are here for any other reason, than to get to know the creator, you're here for the wrong reason. If you're here for any other reason than to build a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're here for the wrong reason. So it is not God's blessing that defines Christianity. It's getting to fellowship with Jesus. Do you know what the beauty of heaven is? The beauty of heaven is not the streets of gold and the pearly gates and the isotropic stones that when light hits it, it shoots every color of the rainbow. If you've ever heard me teach the book of Revelation, it's not about all those things. Do you know what the beauty of heaven is? Seeing Jesus, being with Jesus. What's going to make eternity worth living for eternity is not all the streets of gold and all the fancy stuff in a new heaven and a new earth that we're going to get to explore it's going to be walking with your creator. And if heaven was nothing else except us strolling around walking with God, that would be more than enough forever. More than enough forever. I don't know if you believe that or not. So there is this, this thing that we have seen just in the first half of chapter 16. We have seen the disciples of Jesus evolve. They have changed. They're starting to think more like Jesus, talk more like Jesus, they're able to articulate the principles of heaven more like Jesus. They're changing. They're evolving. They're getting closer and closer to their creator. Now, everyone in this room, I hope that you are somewhere on this list. And you may be at the very beginning of it, and that's fine. Man, you may be way down towards the bottom of it, and that's fine too. But I want to make sure that we're all moving, right? That we're all making progress. The evolution of Christianity begins long before you accept Jesus Christ. The evolution of Christianity starts with a simple desire to want to know the truth. Now, let me clarify that, because maybe some people are like, I want to know the truth. We all say we want to know the truth until the truth contradicts things that we feel or do. You guys with me? 
We all want the truth till we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're like, oh, wait a second. People who drink too much don't go to heaven? But I, I love beer. Okay. I don't know if it'll be in hell, but okay. That was snide, wasn't it? I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but we all seek the truth until the truth starts telling us that maybe we're doing something wrong. The evolution of Christianity begins with saying, I want the truth regardless of what it says. It may hurt, give it to me. Give me the truth. Give me all of it, right? That's where it all begins, okay? And we can't really move beyond that until we want the truth regardless of what the truth is. So here's the thing. If we want the truth, you'll see signs. You'll see signs. If you are looking for something bigger than you, right? I want the truth. One day you are gonna walk outside and you're gonna see a clear night sky and you're gonna say, there's gotta be something bigger than me. There's gotta be some kind of God out there. The Bible says only a fool would say there's nothing. Not everyone who's an agnostic will, will eventually believe in Jesus, but it takes a real fool to say, there's nothing, there's nothing out there. There's nothing. So once we wanna know the truth, we're gonna start seeing signs and we're going to acknowledge that there's something. And so if you start acknowledging that there's something bigger than us, it is impossible to explore the idea of God without picking up the best-selling book in the history of humanity. You're going to pick this up. And what happens is, is when you pick this up, if you start reading it, you're going to find that there's a lot in there about not only who God is, there's a lot in there about how you are, who you are. And you're going to start seeing from the Word of God, right, that even though I'm imperfect, even though I've done bad things, even though I'm still going to do bad things sometimes, God loves me. There is a God, and he loves me so much that he gave his only son to be a human and die for my sin. And then we accept Christ. We understand not only who God is, but who we are in God. And what happens is this. Man, I hope that some of this takes, takes root in some of you. That once we understand who God is and how much he's done for us, because we feel a debt to God, because God gave everything for us, we should want to live a life that is pleasing to him. That's called righteousness. It's called holiness. And so because we understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross, as Paul said, even while we were still sinners, when we read that, and that doesn't just absolutely pierce our hearts, when we read that, we say, I want to change how I live to honor him. Even if that means giving up this or sacrificing that, even if it means moving here or dropping this or picking this up or whatever the case may be, we start to live righteous and holy lives, not perfect lives, but lives that honor him. And when we start to live lives, look at this, when we start to live lives that honor God, we become what's called sanctified which is just a fancy word for being set aside for God to use us. And when we live righteous lives, when we live holy lives, when we're starting to be sanctified and God starts to use us, you're gonna start seeing things be loosed in your life. Wow, my wife doesn't hate me anymore because I'm the kind of man that I'm supposed to be. Wow, my children don't act up so much anymore because I'm training them in the ways of the Lord. Wow, my neighbor doesn't like throw eggs at my house anymore because I actually smile and wave versus like flipping them off, right? So like things start to change and we start to see that things get loosed around us. We start to not only see that things start to change around us, but because of the Holy Spirit in us overflowing, the people at work are like, man, Corey used to be a jerk, but like he's kind of nice now. 
brought donuts the other day. He's nice to me. He says, how are you doing? And so now around us, people start to get affected by the Holy Spirit in us. The binding and the loosing starts to touch your neighbor's life and your family's life and, and your friend's life and the people at work. Schools start to look a little bit different. Maybe an FCA gets started or maybe some other kind of Bible study gets started. Maybe some things start to happen and things are starting to affect other people. And then not only are we disciples of Jesus, we start going out and we're making more disciples. We're, we're making more disciples of Jesus. Do you know every single one of you in this room were commanded by Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 28 to do three things. It's not build a church. It's not go out and have the you know, most YouTube followers, you know, shooting people with super soakers. This is the Holy Spirit. Yeah, stupid crap like that, right? That's not what it's about. Jesus said, go out and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. That is the vision of Jesus Christ. That is the mission of the church. Make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. That is it. In the last six months, we have seen the effects of the church not making disciples. We've made big churches, but we have not made disciples. We have not discipled, baptized, and taught and we are seeing the ramifications of it. That's not just the job of a pastor. It's not just the job of a vocational minister. It is every single person that calls himself a follower of Jesus. We are called to make disciples. Let me ask you something. If you have been a Christian longer than three years, you should have discipled people. If you're being honest with yourself right now, how many people have you discipled? How many people have you walked through the gospel? How many people have you gone? And discipleship starts long before you break open a Bible and just love coffee shop. Discipleship starts when you're at the gym and you say hi to that person, right? That's when it starts. It starts from those conversations. It starts from exchanging phone numbers. It starts from saying, man, how's your wife doing? How's your kids doing? How are you doing, man? If you need anything, send me a text, right? Let's, let's stay in touch. I'm praying for you, man. It's, it's keeping in touch. with. It's walking with each other. It is sitting down and breaking both literal bread and metaphorical bread, right? Maybe you sit down and eat lunch with someone and talk about something that you're reading through in the Bible, have you ever done this? And if you've been a Christian longer than three years and you never have, there's a problem. Maybe you haven't evolved as much as you think you've evolved. Listen, I don't know where you are on, on this list. There's the slide before this one and then this one. I don't really care where you are. I'm being honest. I don't care where you are. What I care, though, is that you're still evolving. Here's the thing with a relationship with Jesus. There is, there, there, there is no neutral. We always talk about the fence. Well, my buddy's on the fence. There is no fence. You're either lost or you're saved. There is no fence. Well, there's lukewarm. They're lost. <laughs> you're either saved or you're not. You're either walking with Jesus. Jesus even said, I mean, I know you guys hate it when I quote Jesus. He said, you're either for me or against me. That's it. You're either for me or against me. Where are we at? Even if you're at stage number one, are you looking? If you're at stage number two, have you picked up a Bible? Have you explored? Where are you at, right? Are you binding and loosing things in your life? Is your family changing? Are you changing? Would you guys bow your heads with me, please? Listen, if you are in this room, if you are in this room, and maybe you are at the very beginning, right? The genesis of this whole process. 
if you're just saying, I, I, I think there's something up there, I just, I'm exploring. If you have any questions, Pastor Muhammad is up here on my right, your left. One of these days, I'm gonna let Muhammad get up here and share his testimony with you. That'd be fun. Pastor Muhammad is up here on my right, your left. If you wanna come up and ask him any questions, he'll, he'll do his best. And if he doesn't know him, we'll figure out how to get you connected with, with, with some resources. But come up here and you can talk to him. There's also men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, it doesn't even have to be related to anything we've talked about today. Man, maybe you feel stuck and maybe you just need a brother or sister to, to pray with you for a second. Maybe you need to get in a small group. Maybe you need to connect you with someone. Come up here and let us, let us, let us pray with you. The last thing is, is you should have communion in your hand. Now, let me tell you a little bit about that before you take that. That's a very sacred thing. It's not just a wafer and some juice. It's very sacred. What that represents in your hand is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It reminds us that Jesus gave his blood for our sin. It reminds us that Jesus sacrificed his body so we could be healed. If not in this life, for eternity. Perfect bodies. It also reminds us that when Jesus left in body, he returned in spirit until he comes back that we have the Holy Spirit of God, that if we will live by the principles of the word, if we will pray for God to fill us with his spirit, you can be the wife that you need to be. You can be the husband, the father you need to be. You can be the neighbor you need to be. You can be the son or daughter you need to be. You can be what God wants you to be because his Holy Spirit is there to give us grace. It's there to counsel us and guide us and lead us. It's there to help us. We have access to that. Ephesians 1.13 says, all that you that have called on the name of Jesus, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's what that reminds us of, not just his death, burial, and resurrection, but his Holy Spirit that helps us. All of us are welcome to take that communion as long as you have asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, okay? Guys, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I love you. I love you so much. I love you so much. It's the, it's, it's the most simple advice I can give you. Just be hungry. Pray in the morning. Buy a copy of the scripture. If you have a commute to work, man, download the YouVersion app and it will read you the Bible. Find a way to get that in your system. Teach your children to read it. Pray with your children. You've got to do these things. And if we don't, it's not a fence, man. We're going to digress. We're going to move in the wrong direction. I love you guys so much. Father, Lord, I love you. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are in this room and any that are watching right now online. Father, we live in, in, in my lifetime, in my 40 years. This is the most confusing, bizarre time, God. There's so much bad theology and false teaching and hatred and frustration and division, God. There is so much cloudiness right now. We need clarity, God, and you are the only source of clarity. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, God, that you help them. Bless their marriages. Bless their homes. Bless their jobs. Bless them with, when they're at school or work or wherever they may be. Father, we love you, God. We thank you. Pray all these things in your son's name, God. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. I love you guys very, very much. You're welcome to help yourself.